Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 253 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello. Corey House. Hi, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Daniel Moore. Hello. I think on our schedule it actually says Daniel X Moore. Yeah. Is, is that what you go by? For, uh, yeah, it's my Google name for the internet world. <laughs> uh, gotcha. Yeah, that's why I did Charles Maxwood, because... Chuck Wood and Charles Wood were hard to differentiate on, so. Yeah, just add a unique letter or a fun middle name, and then you've got a, you've got Google uniqueness. <laughs> That's right. Do you want to give us a brief introduction to who you are, where you work, what you do? Yeah, so I'm Daniel X. Moore. I work at Fog Creek on Gomix. Uh, Gomix is a product that makes it extremely easy to build the bot or app of your dreams. Uh, I've been doing software uh, for at least 10 years uh, professionally. Uh, I guess I think I'm a quad stack developer by now. I've got a lot of front end, some back end, CSS, cloud. Uh, so it stacks for days uh, around here. Uh, Wait, I've not heard of quad stack before. So what, <laughs> you said it's cloud, but what is the well, thing? Well, it's so like there's like full stack, you know, it's just like front end and back end. But then on the front end, people are adding like MVC frameworks. So that's almost an entire additional stack. And if you've got Amazon Web Services, anything like that, you'd probably consider ops and that type of stuff, a stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, sort of design, CSS animations, HTML, HTML5, like could even be separate from some extent, the front end frameworks. I think I've got four or five full stacks under my belt by now. <laughs> uh, and they keep coming out with new stacks. So it's uh, it's hard to keep up, but, <laughs> so does uh, but anyway. So stack yeah. master? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, so I've been doing, actually originally, I think 10 years ago or so, started with PHP and sort of when I got into the basic kind of, oh, I can make apps for the web and do stuff on computers and it's fun. And then around like 2008 or so, got into Ruby on Rails and that was, uh, really blew my mind as like how easy things could be to like get started and get going. And it's really informed a lot of my design decisions and product decisions. Uh, even on Gomix today, like that idea that someone can just sit down and get started and have conventions and have all the tedium abstracted away uh, and can just get to work basically uh, really informs a lot of my design decisions, uh, product choices, tool choices, and things like that. Very interesting. So we brought you on to talk about Gomix, which I guess. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. 
Very interesting. So we brought you on to talk about GoMix, which I guess was called HyperDev, which was called something else, which was called something yeah, else. Yeah, it, it was called HyperWeb originally. And then we decided to call it HyperDev because web, like it's not a great name, like like interwebernets.biz and, you know, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so then HyperDev uh, was a pretty good name. Uh, but then we realized like in the scope of our product goals, like we don't want to be just for developers or just a developer tool. We want to be broader than that for people who uh, have computing experience, for people who have some technical proficiency, but maybe don't consider themselves developers. So having that dev in the name might like exclude or alienate people. Uh, so then we rebranded to GoMix uh, and we kept our cute hummingbird uh, and that was cool. But it's uh, we might have a new rebrand coming up too, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, fourth time's the charm. And like the goal though with the problem with the dev name is a lot of developer tools, like it's not, it's a very tough market and it's very hard to make a successful product because developers are very judgy and very uh <laughs> and very stingy with their money too and there's even a very small pool of them uh but if you actually like say you know microsoft access databases or visual basic or you know even like simple javascript things or like wordpress plugins like there are millions of people who use computers and do some amount of programming who just don't consider themselves developers and if we can like it is our goal to help those people be successful using computers. So I think the dropping the dev was the right choice. That kind of leads me to a question. I know when I first started programming, um, like the, one of the very first things I did was I signed up for Treehouse and this was before they had like an integrated environment and they recommended using something called cloud nine. Is that similar to this? And if it's similar, how is it different? Uh, yeah, it's in a similar space. I guess you could say it's like the web IDE space, which is also a terrible like name for the product space. Uh, and actually even the original Heroku had, I think Heroku garden, which was a web IDE where you could build, you could edit your rails app in the browser. I remember I think, that. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like seven years ago. It was like a long time ago or something. Uh, and so people have been trying this type of product for a long time. This idea that you can go to a web page, you can edit your application in the browser and it's running on cloud nine. Uh, the approach they take is it's very much, the server is real and it exists, and the browser is your interface into that server. And on GoMix, our approach is a lot of people don't know about servers and don't care, and they really just want their thing to work. And so we don't say, like, choose what type of Ubuntu or Linux installation or what kernel you want, and here's all your processes that are running on your OS. It's like, no, just here's your Express app, and you click Show, and then you see it in the browser. So you don't have to make any decisions. You don't have to set up like you don't have to understand systems administration uh, but for cloud nine if you do want to understand that then it is better for that type of worldview so this this feels like it's it's that plus sample apps yeah so in addition because we are aiming for the broader audience beyond just the developer community like even as a developer sometimes it's very hard to just get started or follow a tutorial like GitHub's made it very easy to say, oh, I'll just clone the sample repo. But for people who aren't even necessarily comfortable on the command line or with Git, for them to get started using an API or prototyping something, uh, if you can just go to a web page, say, oh, here's a cool Alexa skill, or here's a cool Slack bot, or here's like a cool, oh, my credit card company has an API, I can figure out how to use it. And you can just click an app, remix it, 
And within five seconds, it's already published on the internet. So as you change the code, you can see it live uh, and you can see your changes. You start from a working position and there's none of that like, oh, I've got to set up my dev environment and update my node versions <laughs> before you can even get started. So, yeah. One thing so Daniel, go, in, uh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Corey. Okay. okay. Uh, so what I was curious about is anytime I see something like this uh, is what are the constraints that you're taking on here? Basically, what are your... Uh, strong opinions that you're taking, because obviously you guys are taking the approach of, hey, we're not going to ask you a dozen questions up front. We're going to make all sorts of assumptions. So what rails have you set up when you choose GoMix? Yeah, so on GoMix, uh, what we've actually set up is Node.js and Express is our default environment. Okay. Uh, and I think we've got, at least it was the latest, it's like the latest long-term support version of Node.js, because that makes it uh, easier for us to maintain. Uh, and it's got, I think, one of the latest versions of Express, uh, and it has a sample welcome project. Uh, and so when you go to gomix.com, uh, if you haven't made any project, you'll just start out with like a default welcome project. And if you go to gomix.com slash community, you'll see a gallery of different applications and different categories, and you can browse around and find something that appeals to you. And so then some of those apps might not have Express or might have different library choices, but they're all... Like our assumption is it's Node.js and uh, you don't have to worry about the server. Like we've got Node.js installed. Uh, you can use your package JSON and add whatever libraries you want and it'll just work. One thing that I've <laughs> run into with, with projects like this though is that you, know, you kind of get this um, fully functioning project and then it's, well, I don't understand everything that's in this. And so you know, onboarding for a specific app or specific example sometimes is a lot more work than just starting from scratch. Yeah, that's definitely possible. What we've tried to do in our Hello World project, and actually we sort of made this mistake early on, is we tried to do like a kitchen sink demo where it had everything, like all kinds of things that helped you and made your life easier and cool libraries. Uh, but then we realized you know, most people, like they just want the bare minimum to see, oh, it runs, it like says Hello World, and then they can add their own, like whatever their own favorite libraries are or whatever they're comfortable with. And so now on our current uh, welcome project, I think it's only Express is the dependency. And it's just a very bare bones Express starter app uh, with some like a readme and documentation about where to look for more things and things you might want to try. Uh, so that not only made it a lot easier for people to just see it running without getting confused, without getting overwhelmed, uh, but also made the startup time a lot quicker and like the overall remix time quicker. So going that slimmer route seemed to be valuable. And so odd question, I, I see in your video that you show people going straight out to GitHub, copying the name of the repo and then pasting it in. And then uh, so effectively you're creating a clone of that repo for them, right? Yeah. So we have, in addition to our gallery apps, we also have a GitHub import and export. So if the app you want already exists on GitHub, like if it's not in our gallery, then uh, you can like get started uh, from something on GitHub or from anything else on the internet. Okay. But but so what would happen if I went out to GitHub and I selected a project that really isn't compatible with your stack? Say I grab something that's Java or C Sharp, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, you might be able to use it. We actually do have a lot of, uh, like, it's basically agnostic as to whether, like, what type of programming language you use. And we made that decision early on to keep our options open for if we did want to expand into Ruby on Rails, PHP, Java, C Sharp, Haskell, everything. Uh, 
so a lot of them they might actually work with a very small amount of changes. Uh, but what we've decided at this point for at least the next couple of years is we really want to focus the community aspect on just Node.js since that is like the primary web development community. I guess like 100% of all developers are JavaScript developers uh, these days. So I think it captures that pretty well. Uh, and then later, like in a few years, or once we've proven we can succeed in one community very well with a high level of polish, then we might expand out into other, uh, other languages. Uh, there's actually another interesting reason for that is that like with programming languages and even like JavaScript frameworks and, you know, like React versus Angular, there's the only reason they exist is to just differentiate communities because the capabilities of the tools are all roughly the same. Like say Ruby and Python, they're roughly equivalent. Even Ruby and Objective-C, they're practically the same language. But the only reason those communities exist is to say, this is our in-group and that is the out-group. It's like professional wrestling. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> go Angular. You tell them React, smack them down. And it's just like, it's all culture. Like, it doesn't really matter. The tools are, they're all tools. They're all capable of almost everything. And people don't like to hear that because they take it very personally. But I like to say it. <laughs> well, I, I totally see your point there. I think that's a an interesting conversation because you look at a professional golfer and if you take Tiger Woods and you give him a, a junkie club from, uh, say, Walmart, he could still play an amazing round of golf with it. And I think largely what we're seeing today is small improvements in technology stacks that are sometimes justified, sometimes not, uh, depending on how far, how many years back you were. So yeah, um, there's an interesting post here recently, I think that uh, Uncle Bob had posted that had discussed this idea that more and more the technologies that we're seeing are different flavors, but not truly revolutionary ideas. Um, so yeah, we're at an interesting time right now uh, where we're just not seeing as much true innovation. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we are seeing it. It's just every popular language has to be multi-paradigm because you have to be popular, you have to appeal to everyone. And so like JavaScript is multi-paradigm, uh, C++ is multi-paradigm, like they have functional elements, they have, you know, uh, ob object-oriented elements, they have all kinds of like anything that was a good idea, all gets included into every language now. <laughs> I remember a talk by Matt, who's the creator of um, Ruby. And he basically got up and he talked about Ruby as a 0 0.8 um, language. And basically what he said is, is that, you know, Ruby easily handles 80% of the stuff out there. And most of the languages that you named are the same way, right? They easily handle 80% of the cases. So unless there's some specialized thing that the language does that you absolutely have to have, so you need Erlang's concurrency model, you absolutely have to have it for, you know, your particular case or... Um, you know, something about the way that Node.js, you know, switches between tasks, um, you know, and, and manages its timeline versus something else, or, you know, some other language has some special feature that you absolutely need. Yeah, you know, the other 80% of the cases, they all handle them just fine. I think you're absolutely right with that. Yeah, and it's even funnier, like, the more similar the languages are, the more rabid foaming at the mouth people become when you say, oh, you could just use this other, like, if you want to get people <laughs> completely irate, like bring up CoffeeScript versus JavaScript versus TypeScript, and people will have the strongest opinions that you've ever seen. And yet those languages, like they're all JavaScript dialects. They have the same ecosystem. They have just different tools and processes. They're all like almost completely equivalent in terms of like the power they can express, the things they can accomplish. The way you generally think about it, you interact with the DOM or you're in Node, and yet people have the most strong opinions. <laughs> 
So it proves that it's just professional wrestling that like, you know, your, your hero, your champion is totally better than the other champion. <laughs> yeah. But mine is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. well, I was going to say, so speaking of all of that, if I wanted to um, use like the latest and greatest, what steps do I need to do inside of GoMix to be able to do that? Uh, so like, can I use TypeScript or can, do I need to use like, if stuff yes. is not supported, yeah. like you should be able, you should be able to use all the latest and greatest things in GoMix. And our general uh, flow for that is you would find in the gallery like a TypeScript starter template or like a starting TypeScript project. And it'll have it all set up in the package JSON with the packages you need to install, the starts command to actually start your server as like the package JSON run command. And once someone sets it up once, and if we have it in the gallery, then anyone who's interested in that could search for it, find it, uh, remix it, and get started using TypeScript. And uh, for any like common thing, uh, we should have them all very soon for like TypeScript, React, Angular. Uh, it's sort of like as people from the community kind of step up and build those starter templates, we're very happy to feature them in the gallery so other people who are interested can get started. This is basically like starter apps, like boilerplates that you can start using? Uh, yeah, it's basically all configured. And if there's any like GoMix specific thing, if it needs to do like a build step or if it needs to use like express middleware to compile things on the fly, they'll be all set up. And so then once you find that, uh, you can just remix it and then you can be using TypeScript uh, in about five seconds also. So I guess that brings me to like to another question. So are these things like how do you stay up to date as packages as package versions change and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, so once you've remixed it, it's kind of up to you for your app uh, when you want to update it. And I think most people just won't, and that's fine. Like, uh, we have, like, we really worry about staying up to date. Uh, and sometimes it's important if there are security fixes, but most software that is ever created uh, is out of date almost immediately. <laughs> and I think just don't worry about it. Just uh, if your app is working for you, in fact, upgrading is a very risky thing. So just if it works, don't upgrade. And if it doesn't work, maybe try upgrade. So it'd be up to the person who like created the template for them to yeah. update it. Or can I, I'm assuming like then I can update it myself if I want. Yeah. So once, if you remix the template, then you can update any dependencies. We even have like a little helper UI uh, in the editor. If you're looking at your package JSON, it'll do a check against uh, an API to see if your node module is if there's a newer version, and it'll tell you, hey, you can just update it. And you can click a button. It'll update you to the latest version. Uh, and so it's very easy to update if you want to. Just uh, if you update too much, and then you have to fix any incompatibilities, then uh, I guess you'll want to be careful if your app, like if you, you want to have the time to actually go in and make sure it still works after you update. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, it also occurs to me that uh, in the realm of upgrading, if they Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Conf. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's 
uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. If you, you want to have the time to actually go in and make sure it still works after you update. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, it also occurs to me that uh, in the realm of upgrading, if they use something that isn't compatible with the latest LTE version of Node, at what point when you upgrade it, do you start saying, okay, this is busted for the latest version? Uh, yeah, so in package.json, I think you can also specify your Node engine, and we try and respect that on the GoMix runtime. So if you say Node... Uh, like node version four, then we'll use that one uh, for your app. So hopefully we'll be able to maintain that in all the popular versions that people have. Uh, like then we won't update node out from under you, basically. Uh, well, your app should keep running, even if the newer default when you start a new app would be a newer version of node. So you said you work on this project full time. And I'm wondering why would a company invest in something like this? Yeah, so I did mention uh, briefly at the beginning, I work at Fog Creek, uh, and as a software company, we have a bit of an interesting history. We were founded in 2001 uh, by Joel Spolsky, the famous blogger, uh, Joel on Software. Uh, and some products that have come out of Fog Creek in the past, you may have heard of uh, Fogbugs, our main one, and Stack Overflow, uh, a collaboration between Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood. Uh, I think you've probably heard of Stack Overflow if you've been a developer for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, and Trello uh, also recently, a few years ago, was spun out from Fog Creek also. Uh, and just last month, they were purchased by Atlassian. So I think we've got uh, a lot of pretty success, uh, a lot of pretty successful products on our track record. Uh, and it's that type of history that like even though we do have Fogbugs as our main stable uh, product, and it's a successful product, uh, our customers love it, and we get to use a small percentage of that to invest in new ideas and new products. Because uh, no matter how good, like Fogbugs has been around 10 years, and it's had a great history. It's We have great things coming actually for it as well in the future. Uh, but in addition to that, we're always looking for new innovations, new ways to make developers' lives easier, make people who use computers' lives easier, uh, make things easier for businesses using software, uh, and we have the track record to prove it. So I guess as a company, it is kind of rare to actually budget something for innovation as opposed to just keep trying to pivot until you hopefully succeed or run out of money. Uh, so it's sort of the opposite of a way a lot of startups have done it. So I find your description very interesting. I mean, I have a lot of respect for uh, Joel, and I, I really enjoyed the Stack Overflow podcast back when they were telling their story uh, in the early days after launch. Um, and I think one thing that makes this intriguing is it's it's not that much different than the idea of, of what they did in other cases. Just like with Trello, there was no story for monetization at the beginning, um, at least not that I'm aware of. I think you guys launched Trello and just said, hey, here's something people will find useful and we'll figure out how to monetize it later, perhaps. That was true, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. I think this time we're trying to be a little more conscientious of that. Because uh, okay. Trello did uh, take uh, VC at some point. I think they had a pretty good round, but it was after they'd already proved traction and kind of found that it was a bit like that the market wanted a product like that. And they deferred some of the exact ways to like turn into a big business, but they knew that market demand existed fairly early on. 
Okay. So that's what was unclear to me is, so is this altruistic or is this also something that you feel like has a, a business future, but that, that piece really isn't outlined yet? Uh, we absolutely feel that it has a business future. We're exploring a few opportunities right now. I guess I can go into sort of some overall like history and design goals for it and then kind of lead into uh, some of the business possibilities. Uh, it might make more sense with uh, some background. Great. <laughs> so as we've been saying, GoMix is an online IDE, which is a terrible category of things, but the promise is you can sit down, go to a web page, your app is already deployed, it's already running. Uh, and our inspiration for creating this, like our kind of design influence or like thinking about how to make computing better, I've been personally inspired by a lot of Alan Kay's work, Brett Victor, uh, Chris Granger, who did Light Table and Eve. Uh, and a lot of these uh, sort of visionary people are looking at how can we sort of deliver on the promise of computing? Like we have these machines, they're very powerful. How can we make it so humans can achieve human goals and successfully use them? Uh, and a lot of those people, if they were looking at GoMix, they'd probably be offended at our uh, sort of lack of, like, I don't know what, exactly how to say it, but like our uh, pragmatism maybe, but we're not trying to redesign programming using like visual experiences. We're not trying to redesign human computer interaction or like change like a lot of the stuff that Chris Granger's done with Lighttable and Eve, it's like really trying to change the whole paradigm of how people program. And those are very important, very hard problems. Uh, but we're just trying to solve dumb problems. Like how do I set up my dev environment and how do I deploy my app? And like hard problems and dumb problems can be equally important. And we're just like focusing on really simple, dumb problems that affect millions of people. And it's it's somewhat challenging to like have the design integrity to say, we want you to be your app to be running in under five seconds. Like the first time you go to gomix.com, we want you to have a complete app running in five seconds. And there are a lot of hard problems around that, but like the fundamental problem of, I just want to have an environment that works. You know, I don't want to have to download a bunch of stuff on my desktop and figure out Git and figure out all of these other things. Like those aren't those aren't like hard technical problems. It's just have a convention, make decisions and set it up in the way that will work for 99% of people and like be very diligent and very act with a lot of conviction in the libraries and the tools you use, uh, but not so much conviction that you like ignore where people are today. Because like JavaScript is probably the one of the most popular languages, if not the most popular language in use. So sort of by default, it's the one most people use. It's on browsers. Like everyone probably has eight JavaScript runtimes on their toaster by now. So. Like it's everywhere. So we definitely have to meet people with where they are. So I gotta go upgrade yeah. my toaster. No, no, yeah, I'm self-conscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like when you're trying to update your toaster and then it's you gotta get the right node version and try to install Git on your toaster and it's just not easy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like these problems, right? Like they're problems we made for ourselves as developers. Like we make our lives harder. And the hard part isn't, okay, now that we've made a really hard problem for ourselves, let's solve it. It's like, can we just sidestep that whole thing altogether? Like, couldn't it just be easy again? Uh, and we think for a lot of people, for a lot of problems, for a lot of projects that you want to do on a computer, it can just be easy. Like most apps aren't Google scale. They aren't Facebook scale. Even for like strong typing and redesigning the way programming languages work to like prevent programmer errors, 
like those are problems that affect teams of hundreds of people and you need to enforce consistency across a million line code base. But most people's code base is like a couple hundred lines uh, duct taping together a few APIs on the internet and it just solves a problem for them for their business. Like most apps are small, most programs are small, most problems are small. And if you have a big problem, you can break it down into small problems. Uh, there are some problems that are very hard and very big and refactoring millions of lines of code is one of them. But your average person doesn't have that problem. And so we're just trying to solve the problem for people today, like developers of the future, for the next 1 billion computer developers. Like we want them to have an environment that's easy and that makes sense. So I really like what you said about, you know, breaking problems down, that even the big problems can just be solved by solving a bunch of small problems. I've, I've believed in that for a long time. And I think the, I guess the thing that came to mind as you said that was we also have this big push toward uh, serverless architectures, toward functions as a service, which is to some degree in the same space as what you're doing. Because it is, hey, let me take this thing and make it really approachable. Let me write a few lines of code and paste them into a, a, a web IDE or into a file and just save it somewhere and magic happens. Um, how do you feel like, do you agree with me that there, that people might be cross shopping between these two paradigms? And if so, why do they choose Gomix over um, those other sort of function as a service style of, yeah. of thinking? I, I think that's definitely a good insight is that we are moving a lot more towards like cloud services, serverless architectures, sort of static static HTML and JavaScript pages that are just another client of all of these distributed services that might be on AWS, that might be on Lambda or Firebase or even Heroku apps or some other like third-party APIs where it just the web page directly contacts the API rather than going through your central server through their API. Right. Uh, and I think it's really not using Gomix instead of these other tools, but in addition to. So you can use Gomix with Heroku. You can Actually, to set up a database in Gomix, here's a fun trick. You can uh, go on Heroku and add a database and just copy the database URL into your Gomix env file. And now you've got like a database in Gomix. And like same for any other web resource. They're all like out on the internet now. It's we're going back to mainframe computing where there's just one giant mainframe with all of these little services talking to each other. Uh, and it's not quite the same because there are so many different ones, like it's only getting more complex. There's like even Amazon alone has probably like 150 different services right now. And they like have a new one every week. So the complexity is never gonna get less. Uh, and sometimes like that specific service is right for you. And we imagine Gomix is sort of being like the glue or the duct tape or the bash scripts of the mainframe of the future where you connect together two different services through like a simple 50 line express app in Gomix. Good stuff. So I was thinking about, you know, Express is as popular a package as it, it really gets on NPM. Um, can you envision places where having Express there doesn't make sense? Or, or I guess for that matter, you guys aren't forcing somebody to use Express. I could just as easily go grab Koa or, or whatever alternative, right? It's just yeah, there absolutely. by default. Yeah, okay. you can use any other uh, server library on NPM. You can use any framework uh, that's on NPM easily. You can even use some, like you could even use Python if you really had to. We don't really promote it in the gallery because we're trying to, like it's enough trouble to try and unify the JavaScript community. But uh, like you can use anything you want to use. Our idea with Gomix is you should be able to use it, even if we don't necessarily support it. 
like we're not going to say you're doing it wrong because like that's what you want to use so we'll say you might run into trouble it might be harder to set up but we'll do our best to help you use the tools you want to use to solve the problem you have so i think that's the that's the tricky balance that you guys have to strike is uh, and this happens to any business and really any technology is if you try to be uh, something to everybody, it ends up becoming harder to to serve your audience because your audience becomes more and more amorphous. So that was kind of what I was getting at is at what point do you guys say, hey, no, you're definitely in the wrong spot here. Oh, I'm wanting to write C++. I'm probably not going to reach for Go Mix, right? Yeah. Well, um, so what I think we would say is you can try it and it won't really be fun for you, but we want you to try it. Like it's important for communities to have a fringe, you know, to have like an edge because that's where innovations happen. Like that's where Someone can say, hey, I did this really weird thing, and now I've got this super cool C++ uh, web framework, and you just type the code, and it reloads, and it works. Like That'd be really cool to have. Uh, and if we just tell someone, no, this isn't the place for that, like we would never get that. But if we say, this isn't the place for that, but go ahead, have fun, let us know what you find out, then they'll be like, oh, OK, I know it might not be easy, and I might not get any help, but like I might discover something. that could be like a thriving fringe community with all of these crazy ideas, and then that can inform us in future directions of like which new things to add, which new things to move from the fringe into the core. That's a great point. Good stuff. So can I ask something kind of unrelated to GoMix? Cause I'm just curious. Um, I, I know a fair amount about Fog Creek and the offices and the culture, and I've always gotten the impression that it is a pretty awesome place to work. Like I've seen pictures that apparently uh, I know Joel at least previously had um, felt strongly that all developers does, should have their own, uh, office with a door. I think they had sliding glass doors in their office. What What is the environment like there culturally and, and the office itself? Uh, yeah, so it's still, we still have a lot of that. Uh, we still have a fancy New York office in Manhattan, uh, like right next to the stock exchange uh, and with fancy glass doors and developers have their own, they can close the door, have privacy to actually focus on getting work done. Uh, is a stark change from the open office trend we've seen. Uh, but Amen. An, an interesting yeah. thing, though, is we're also, I think, 50% remote right now, actually. And so in addition to having that nice office where we can go for like team on-sites or uh, get the whole company together there occasionally, uh, we also have about, I think, 50% of our developers are remote. Uh, but that same goal of having a private space applies. So... Fog Creek will pay for you to get a nice desk, nice monitors, a nice chair. And they say, if you have your office in your house, it has to have like a door and you can close it. And like, they'll pay for your door probably if you need to add one. Just so that, <laughs> That's great. So you have like a space where you can get work done and you're not just like on the couch and your kids are like spilling stuff everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to make a door out of a flat screen TV. I was yeah. going to say, I work from home. You must be watching me. No, I'm just kidding. I have a room with a door <laughs> and I, I need it. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I had a I have a door and my door has a lock actually because you can tell your family, hey, I'm working now, but if it's just locked, then it's even easier. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. I have a one year old and a five year old. The the yeah. five year old's home part of the day because he's in kindergarten, and so yeah, I have to lock my door. Otherwise, yeah, in the middle of the morning. Hi, Dad. Yeah, what are you <laughs> working you on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, earlier when I was talking about sort of the history of GoMix. I think I trailed off before I got to the part about like the business side of it. I just said, hey, it's going to be big and a lot of people are going to use it without ever answering like, and is it a business? Uh, so I think I can loop back in on that a little bit. Uh, 
my feeling is by empowering millions more people to be successful using computers to solve their problems, it really kind of helps everyone. And it helps businesses a lot as well. Like say there's so many businesses that have APIs, that have developer toolkits, that have uh, things they, just, they want developers to use. They want people to be successful. Like Slack, you can build bots, you can build utilities inside Slack that integrate with it. Uh, they provide a lot of value to your organization. And Slack would love for a million people to be building on their platform. And there's probably some kind of you know, way for us all to win in that exchange. Uh, Amazon has you know, all kinds of web services. They want people to use them. They want people to experiment with them, to explore them. Uh, Twilio, uh, Citibank, like all of these companies have APIs. They have developer evangelists. They're spending millions of dollars just trying to get developers' attention to use their APIs. And so if Gomix is the most uh, easy, the most simple, the most fun, the most thriving community where you can get started using these tools, it helps people who want to solve a problem in their life. They say they want to like, make phone calls on the internet or like build a simple utility that integrates with their cell phone. They could use a Twilio starter project. They could get their app up almost immediately. And then uh, that's a value to Twilio and it's a value to the person. And so we just need to figure out how to facilitate that uh, connection and to like really communicate the value to these companies and say, look, if you just give us one-tenth of your conference budget, we'll bring in 10 times as many developers and they'll be 10 times as successful. And they can use, they'll discover your APIs and they'll be so much happier that it was easier to get started. Uh, so that's one yeah. possible. We're exploring that pretty aggressively right now. It's not concrete, but I think it shows a lot of promise. Well, I really like that mindset of, of saying, I'm confident that if I build something that lots of people enjoy and that helps make people more productive, that we'll find a way to connect the dots and monetize it. Um, yeah. But let's do something. The worst case scenario is, hey, we did something that helped people out. We never found a way to monetize it, but we still made a positive impact. Yeah. And I think it's also one of those rare things. Like we're really trying to find the monetization path that is win-win for the developers, for people who aren't necessarily developers, but want to use computers to solve their problems, but also for the businesses who could actually afford the big bucks to pay us money. Like we want to not be sort of like a magazine route where our customer, like our customers are really the advertisers as opposed to the readers. Like we want to have a unified like success for the people using apps on GoMix and building apps on GoMix is the same as success for the people, the companies that want people to build their apps on GoMix. Right on. All right. Well, anything else that we should uh, talk about before we do picks? Uh, let's see. I could go on some more rants, but we might not have too much time for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. My favorite recent rant is uh, the singularity is already behind us is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says this AI apocalypse is coming up in the future and we should really prepare for it. But I think it happened a long time ago. <laughs> okay, you got to name a year then. Uh, I'll say, let's say like AOL 1993. That was the year. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, with, you know, high frequency trading, the internet, all these memes, like, you know, it doesn't it seem like it's not so much the singularity where AI kept getting smarter and smarter. It's like the dumbularity where 
all of our internet usage kept getting dumber and dumber. And now 100% of our time is spent on internet memes. So I think it happened a long time ago. Like, <laughs> we could even go farther back and say uh, the printing press, and then people were distributing information you know, much more quickly. It ushered in the industrial revolution, which things took off at an exponential rate. And the world is never the same again. And <laughs> you can even go farther back than that. You could say 1.4 billion years ago when the first multicellular bacteria were coming onto the scene and all the singular cell bacteria looked at them and said, you know, in the future, all these multicellular organisms are going to upload us into their bodies and we'll live in a magical wonderland inside them and all of our <laughs> dreams will come true. And oh, what so actually good. happened is the multicellular creatures kind of went on their own way and they're still most single-celled bacteria are just living single-celled lives in the ocean. And although some of them do live inside a simulation, like your stomach. <laughs> That's the weirdest matrix ever. <laughs> <laughs> See, the cool awesome. thing about the singularity and these like exponential curves, they're scale invariant. So you can go to any point in time and say it was that point because it's all the same. It's an exponential curve. <laughs> nice. So it's too I will easy. say it's fun. <laughs> Ray Kurzweil's book was awesome, though. I really did enjoy it. I assume yeah. you read it. Uh, I haven't read it, but I've read... Uh, I'm familiar with his viewpoints. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I disagree with some of them. But yeah, it is interesting to think about. Like, they are fun thought experiments. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. All right, well, let's go on and do some picks. Uh, Amy, cool. do you want to start us with picks? Sure, I can go for it. Uh, so the first one I have, I think I saw this on Hacker News at one point last week, um, but it's a book that you can get online, A Brief Introduction to Operating Systems. So that looked pretty good. Uh, something that I will definitely be checking out. And then my other one is a conference that I'm going to be going to in June. And uh, I went there last year and spoke, and it was awesome. I really, really liked it. I love that the organizers are super nice. So. I just wanted to say good things for their conference, but it's uh, RevConf in Virginia Beach, and it's June 1st through 2nd. So if you are looking for a conference about that time, I totally think you should check it out. And that's it for me. All right, Corey, what are your picks? Okay, so I have uh, two picks. Uh, my first one is a book that I really enjoyed called uh, Abundance. The Future is Better Than You Think. I It actually came to mind as um, we were talking here and as uh, Daniel was telling his story. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, here lately, things have been pretty uh, negative, a lot of negativity in the press, and uh, this is a fun little reminder that um, I think the future is is pretty bright for us, um, really just bright for humanity. It's it's not um, specific necessarily about technology or about any uh, country or politics, just uh, interesting insight on uh, the future. Um, other, while we're talking about conferences, I'll put in a plug as well. Uh, I'm excited to uh, be speaking at Fluent Conference, um, which is now in San Jose. It was in San Francisco, but they moved it to San Jose this year. That's coming up uh, this summer in June, a conference by O'Reilly. One of my favorite conferences for JavaScript devs. I've met a lot of sharp people there, so highly recommend giving it a look. That's it for me. 
Awesome. Let me jump in here with a couple of picks as well. Uh, the first one that I'm going to pick is a book um, that also came to mind while we were talking, and that is when we were talking about the doors, having doors on your office and cutting down on distractions. I've been reading a book called Deep Work, um, and it talks a lot about uh, you know just getting in and being able to do deep thought work. Um, it's by Cal Newport, who also wrote So Good They Can't Ignore You, and uh, both of those are terrific books, but uh, that's the one I've been reading lately. And then I'm also going to pick a conference or four. Um, so the the next conference I have coming up um, that I am working on is JS Remote Conf. Um, so if you want to come and uh, listen to a whole bunch of people, a lot of them are former guests on the show. Um, you can definitely do that. Uh, just go to jsremoteconf.com and check that out. Um, and then I'm just going to list off the other conferences that are coming up. I have Freelance Remote Conf coming up in April. iOS Remote Conf is in May. And Ruby Remote Conf will be in June. So if you're interested in any of those, you can go to devchat.tv slash conferences and check those out. Um, as far as conferences that I'm attending that I'm excited about, um, the next conference I'm going to is MicroConf, which is an entrepreneur's conference. They have a starter version and a growth version. So if you're just getting started, you're trying to figure out what your product is, all that stuff, go to the starter version. And if not, you can go to the growth version. It's in Las Vegas, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think I'm going to be there for most of the time that both conferences are running. So if you want to hang out, grab lunch, whatever, that'd be awesome. Um, the second conference that I'm going to for sure is Podcast Movement, and that's going to be in Anaheim, California. Yes, the same Anaheim where Disneyland is, and uh, that's going to be a ton of fun too. And then finally, um, I am seriously thinking about going on NG Cruise, and we had Tracy on last week and talked about um, – some of the things that she's got going on with contributor days, but she and Joe Eames are putting together NG Cruise put on by NG Conf, and that's going to be in May. And I'm not sure if I can make that or not, but uh, that should be cool. And then finally, I'm also going to be at Microsoft Build in May. So if you're if you're looking at any of those and you want to hang out, I, I love hearing from people um, who are out there in the community. So uh, check all those out. Um, Daniel, do you have some picks for us? Yes, I think I will take this opportunity to shamelessly self-promote. Uh, we've got gomix.com. I can recommend it. You'll have fun building your apps. I've heard about that. Uh, Is it good? Yeah, I heard I heard a lot of buzz on uh, JavaScript Jabber about it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, there's also hamlet.coffee. It's a front-end web framework, uh, view templating framework I made. I figured... Uh, well, we've got all our favorite professional wrestlers. I should uh, throw my hat in the ring. <laughs> and the third one is whimsy.space. It's an online zine-based operating system that comes out monthly. And if that doesn't make any sense, you're right, it doesn't. But it's whimsical and fun and looks kind of like Windows 95. So check it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if people want to see what you're doing these days, Daniel, what should they do? Do they follow you on Twitter, see you on a blog somewhere, GitHub, what? Uh, probably whimsy.space, I think. Uh, we'll look deep into my soul and see what I'm about. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming, and we'll catch everyone Thanks. next week. a lot of fun. It was fun. Bye. Thanks, Daniel. See you. See you.